1: What up and welcome in, everybody. It is um, a little bit different. It's it's, uh, it's sort of the OBR film breakdown, but the OBR chalk talk all combined into one. Myself and Andrew Spade live doing what is a, eventually a podcast, and uh, we'll be up on all the podcast channels here uh, after the show. But we wanted to do a live show to see if there are any worthwhile questions that you guys wanted to ask or anything like that. And to go through what happened to be like, a really busy football sunday in a way maybe we didn't expect I, I didn't necessarily andrew as i welcome you in expect to get the browns pulling like a fast one by news dumping the oc higher right in the middle of those games that that one caught me by surprise
2: yeah it was very surprising it was uh the timing of it too it wasn't in the middle of either of the games, it was really as the chiefs uh, Ravens game was winding down. And so it it really was kind of happening as things were transitioning, which is a a good time for it to leak, honestly. So it, there was like a a lull between the two games that was mostly filled for Browns fans with uh, arguing about whether or not Ken Dorsey is a worthwhile candidate to be offensive coordinator. So uh, a very surprising uh, twist to the day two really good football games i thought um and then you get some bonus browns do so it's really everything you want out of a sunday other than the browns actually playing in the afc championship game
1: well let's uh let's kind of backtrack and talk through some of these games right i mean you know you get kansas city and in baltimore i i don't know that i thought i was convinced kansas city could win that game i don't know where you stood on it you know independent of We didn't get to have our usual conversation about it, but did the outcome of that or just the feel of that game surprise you? Because there's, you know, Todd Monken's taken a pretty significant amount of heat today about the general game plan that the Ravens went into that game with.
2: He has, he has to, when all else fails, blame coaching, right? I mean, that's, that seems to be the lesson from today for both losing teams is that they did something terribly wrong rather than just like, the Chiefs have one of the best coaches in the history of the NFL and arguably the best quarterback in the history of the NFL, and it's very, very hard to beat them. I think is that's the lesson I took away from the AFC Championship game. But yeah, um, in terms of what I thought going in, yeah, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but I, I, uh, I I'll prove the receipts if you want me to. But uh, I had the two uh, underdogs in a in a parlay, so uh, I, I had a, a, a very good day predicting the outcome of those games and was was close the lions pulling that off to being uh being a clean sweep
1: well i mean i guess the question is uh how far away do you think the brown that's the qu- i mean we're talking about the browns are a couple rounds away here right this is two two rounds away how how close do you view the browns to what you consumed as far as winning the afc or was this a year where the chiefs were meant to be had and uh and couldn't be you know, that couldn't be taken advantage. Of. I got a couple key questions off that game. I want to throw to you. Okay, so first, how far off are the Browns in your opinion? Thanks JDS for the, uh, for the chat, man. We appreciate that.
2: Well, I, yeah, I think that there's, there's kind of two ways to answer that. One, one is I think that if you, if your team is pretty healthy and the, you know, the Browns put together a, a competitive roster, I think they can be in this conversation. Uh, the other is, it it feels clear that you need you need a, an advantage in some phase that the the other team can't match, and I think uh, that has proven to be elusive for the Browns. I think uh, obviously it's elusive for almost all the teams, but I think the fact that the Bengals made you know went to Kansas City and beat the Chiefs tells you that it can be done. You saw Bengals fans all over Twitter yesterday kind of gloating as the Ravens lost that Joe Burrow is the only quarterback that can, can do that to Patrick Mahomes. I don't think that's true. I think that, uh, you know, the, (laughs) there is, there is a path uh, for the, for the chiefs to be beaten. I think there's a path for any team to be beaten, but I do think that the fastest way to get there would be to find some advantage that no other team has, or, or some, 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 whether it's through coaching or through uh, players, some some sort of matchup win that, that becomes sort of fundamental to your identity. It's, it's, and it's really tough because the Chiefs kind of have an answer for almost everything. The one thing, to go back to what you said a minute ago, that the Ravens seemed like they could do that they refused to do was run the ball. Yeah. Uh, and I think you can make the argument with the right changes to the offensive line this offseason – a healthy Nick Chubb by playoff time next year, the Browns should be back in the in contention to have one of the best running games in the league and if Chubb is healthy, he's I should still be the best single runner in the league. So that means that you could potentially run on anybody including the Kansas City Chiefs.
1: You know what what I think is the most interesting with Kansas City is is that for some way shape or form And I know that the regular season didn't go well. We found ourselves sort of sleeping once again on who just the best overall player is, right? Like who the best overall player is and can they make enough plays to matter? But I think Spags, I've tweeted about this, one of the best doing it. It was very bold of the Ravens to feel like attacking something that he's most comfortable doing, which is designing coverages and confusing quarterbacks is is the route that they decided to go there it was, especially when it seemed like they were running it pretty well i think that again kansas city if he could redo that game has a propensity even though they're winning by maybe 10 or 7 make you feel like it's more than that and i think that that's probably you know I t- todd monk has been in national championship games college-wise but that's you know it's the nfl biggest stage i think he probably learned a good amount from that but again kansas city moves on and uh you know I think if if we had have picked that game ahead of time I probably would have took Baltimore would you or would you have gone Kansas City
2: I definitely took the chiefs
1: okay i uh i, I would have taken Baltimore so I'm glad we didn't do that I shouldn't even Me be too. admitting this on yeah. on air but here we are I, well, I, I would, and i I just ahead. want to
2: point out Amator is making a great point in chat which is that the Ravens had some opportunities to win that game the Zay flowers fumble is as close to a touchdown as it gets it's without true. being a touchdown so It's not as if the Ravens played a clean, totally great game, and then the Chiefs beat them head-to-head. The Ravens left a lot on that field, and I think that speaks to the Chiefs are beatable. It feels like they aren't because they just keep winning and they keep ending up in the Super Bowl. Yeah, But I think there was definitely a path for Baltimore to win that game yesterday, and and they had some real moments go against them that they're going to regret all offseason.
1: Yeah, it's always tough to get to that point and have nothing to show for it. And then especially you think about the Ravens sort of contributions from the Kyle Venoise of the world, right? Or the Genevian clownies trying to find that production again, those types of seasons. And it does seem, as we have been keeping you updated on coaching searches all along, Mike McDonald is is pretty much on his way to Seattle, barring some setback. I I feel like he's on his way there. And I, to be frank with you guys, couldn't be more happy to hear that because I think he's pretty pretty talented. And then I also thought Jesse Minter was the obvious name that they could call up from the triple a farm system at michigan and he's headed out west with brother you know so i don't know i, I feel like this is a good outcome for the browns you don't have to watch the ravens in the super bowl you don't have to deal with that on top of the fact that you know that they're going to be can't say you know but it's hard to envision them being a better version of the defense that they put on the field this year so uh you know that's kind of all i have on that game anything else on that game you want to hit on
2: well i i think it's I, I think it's the, the 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 shame of these playoff games, especially when you get to this this far in the playoffs, is that everything gets concentrated on one or two people and, and obviously I think there's a lot of negativity going around about the way Lamar played at times, but mm-hmm. I, I don't really have other than that last interception, which was a <laughs> yeah, you know, that was a tough pill to swallow. Uh, I don't. I don't have a ton of problems with the way that he played. I don't think that he was the reason why they lost that game either. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, like I, I think it was a close game, and like I said, a few bounces of the ball. Flowers doesn't fumble that. It's a tight game, and now you're at home with the defense playing with a chance to stop them, and then you get the ball back to go get the lead. The crowd gets more into it. It's these are just these are diverging paths. I mean, I think the Browns' season this year, the last two years, really. Last year, it was so hard for them to get a win, and it felt like at the last moment in the fourth quarter, something would go against them. Yeah. This year, so many times during the regular season, that bounce went their way, and all of a sudden you were on the right side of it, all the way back to Jake Moody missing that field goal uh, for San Francisco. that That's a game that they had – that game was lost. It's a 41-yarder, and then he, he hangs it out right, and all of a sudden you've beat the 49ers. So, like – those bounces going the Browns' way this year, I think it should help us understand that one of the one of the tricks that sports media plays for the most part is to try and tell you that you can reduce it down to Patrick Mahomes is good and Lamar Jackson is bad. And yeah. I, I think that's just, it's. I, I mean, I, I'm sure most of the people listening to this understand that's lazy thinking, but I just want to echo the sentiment that it, it really doesn't boil down to that and you cannot try and understand everything that you understand about football based on how the championship games turn out
1: also quarterbacks who can create first downs when they're not there that helps you know being yeah, able get, to be get you one of those be a wizard uh, back there and create space and find first downs that you have no business getting usually helps even though it's a low scoring game usually helps uh the other one we have a 34 31 uh win by the 49ers uh comeback variety first in Kyle Shanahan's tenure any sort of comeback like this i believe it was 24 was it 24 to 10 24 7 at half andrew i uh ashamed to admit we wanted to do a podcast but i fell asleep you know getting old here so i fell asleep halftime of this game so i woke up at midnight a little after midnight trying to uh just solve who won this football game my phone was dead next to me so i'm like who won this game i can't figure it out and it is probably the storyline i'm sure 49ers fans are going crazy about you know kind of always been a front-running team and that's fine you know getting out in front and closing ball games they have not had to come from behind success and certainly would say that the Lions wide receiver group played into that in a a very very uh you know heavily contributing way but I think that this game is one that I think Browns fans can relate to in a Mm -hmm. sense because the Browns are trying to do the things the Lions are trying to do which is get to their first Super Bowl and to be there 24 to seven and a half is gut-wrenching to step back and think about and i'm sure lions fans are just sick and beside themselves and dan campbell's quotes in the post game were pretty apt in terms of you know this is could be the closest we ever get to this because getting back to this point is really challenging so it's almost vicarious living of pain that we're seeing from the lions fans that we can certainly empathize with right
2: yeah it was a true anything that can go wrong does go wrong in the second half i, I think it's it's as just- simple as that there's probably what five or six moments where if any one of them goes the lion's way, they probably end up winning the game, hanging on forcing the 49ers to have to try and score last second with, with no time left. But Mm -hmm. they, they kind of, you hate to say it, but they made it easy for San Francisco to complete that comeback. the, The, the the clear turning point, and I'll I'll just fill you in on this because you were asleep, is uh the, when when Jameer Gibbs uh, fumbled the handoff from 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 Jared Goff that was the that was the real avalanche moment because the Lions were hanging on, they're trying to s- establish the run that they had struggled to get going in the second half, he goes the wrong way, isn't ready for the Goff's not ready to hand you know it's just a mess. Turnover, they go in and cash it in quickly. To me, that was the moment where it really felt like things got away from them because it's it's the same sort of quick switch. It's not quite as bad as the pick six, uh, as, yeah. you know, f- from Flacco, but it's the same thing where you've got the ball and you're trying to establish a little bit of rhythm, give your defense a chance, and all of a sudden they're back out on the field trying to defend a Forty Nine ers team that now can smell blood in the water. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and, and I think that just that kind of triggered the whole thing. And it comes down to a player not being exactly where he's supposed to be in that moment. And it sucks because Jameer Gibbs had a great, great game and is, is a hell of a player obviously, but those are, those are the sorts of mistakes that you just, you can't afford to give them a short field when they're trying to come back because it, it just makes it easier. And like I said, they, they made it easier for the lions or for the 49ers, pardon me. Mm -hmm. And that, once that starts to feel, once it starts to feel easier, then it just, you know, it starts to, to roll up. And I think that's what Browns fans can identify with is that when you saw that happening in the third quarter, you, I, my heart just went out to every, everybody in that stadium wearing Honolulu blue that spent, God knows how much money to fly to San Francisco and buy tickets. And you're you're down by the you know in the picture that you've got up on the screen there it's half lions fans in that picture
1: yeah it was an insane travel from those yeah that's
2: like a hundred we're looking at two hundred thousand dollars worth of expense between the people in in yeah in the background of that photo at least right and that's gotta just be you're you're talking about weeks of the money i spent and the time that i spent and the emotions of watching this unravel in front of me it's a it's a nightmare scenario and i think the browns fans have had plenty of bad losses especially if you if your fandom extends back to the 1980s but there are there's a generation of browns fans younger fans that actually haven't experienced anything as bad as what detroit experienced here because
1: it's almost like our, you'd rather get blown out there because you didn't what I'm think you had a chance to go in I'm half saying. and be like yeah. we're
2: doing this let me start right.
1: shopping super bowl tickets and- right yeah. ernest
2: spiner yeah. just has to get in the end zone yeah and the that game against the broncos is salted away but my point is is at this point Got to be 40 years old or more to remember that game. Yeah. So in terms of high stakes situations, a championship game going wrong, Browns fans, we we thankfully can't relate to a lot of us. So yeah, you you're watching it and you're kind of it's almost a cautionary tale because you you've seen things like it, but we're talking about a regular season game. We're talking about the Ravens returning a, a block field goal to walk off in you know, on a Monday nighter. That's not the same thing as the NFC championship game. So It it is absolutely you feel for them. And I was the one, there's four teams in the, in the final round there. And they were the only team that I cared about. I, you know, chiefs, Ravens don't care. 49ers don't like them. Yeah. Lions. I was, I was very in on the Lions. So the way that that all fell apart was, was hard. And and you do feel for everybody that's a Detroit fan this morning.
1: Yeah. Particularly brutal uh, in every sense, like you said, to look at where they're going next year and like, ben johnson's likely gone that's almost a done deal uh you know you know campbell getting up there i thought that was really raw you don't really see coaches do that very often because you know you're covering your tracks saying we can do it but it's like this could be the closest you ever get to one of these and um just if you didn't watch that that was just a gut-wrenching press conference from a guy who seems to be pretty honest and i respect him. i I even thought he's taking a lot of Flack for the fourth down decisions. I thought they were the right decisions. And it's like I thought Goff did a great job for the most part in this game, too. That's what's crazy, is like you think that ah, they got Goff. It eventually catches up with him. now he was a part of the success in this game more than anything else and was let down. And that's uh that's really tough because I thought the Lions, obviously having beat the Chiefs early in the year, had a real chance to beat them in the Super Bowl, too. So agreed uh, we'll, we'll preview the super bowl in a little uh, a little bit later in the week or you got two weeks here maybe we'll preview the uh, pro bowl
2: games sure so yeah, fun get some flag football scouting going yeah yeah no i to your point about jared goff being let down uh, one thing as a browns fan watching it was i know that josh reynolds has, has been a player for them this year and i'm not saying that he didn't deserve to be in those situations but mm-hmm. i did find myself kind of wondering about our guy donovan people's jones he caught those, it
1: I mean, right.
2: Like, I I don't know. It just, it, it, it flashed through my head, man. Like I, he doesn't drop the ball. That's what I'm saying. And I think Josh Reynolds is, I understand why he's where he is with this team because their their team really has about a dozen guys like Josh Reynolds, guys that, that kind of maybe shouldn't be in that position. Alex Anzalone, you think about on the defensive side, you know, I'm sure there's others. If I, if I put my mind to it, you could think of that. They they're they're good guys that deserve a role, but it's just I I just that I did flash on that because I m- my thinking when they made that trade go back to midseason was that's the spot they're trying to upgrade right because they've got Saint Brown they've got Jamison Williams if you're trading a, a a pick for this player what's the role it's not punt returner apparently it is but I didn't think it was punt returner so. I I really thought he was going to slot into that role replace replace Josh Reynolds and be kind of a really reliable fourth option for them behind Laporta and the receivers I mentioned but it it didn't happen and I don't know I I found myself thinking of him last night watching uh, Reynolds not be able to haul those those balls in
1: me too man it was just sickening uh sort of step back and and take it all in really challenging to do for that fan base and The good thing is, though, they're good. They're talented. They have enough talent. If they if they get the right OC in place and they get the offense back in the right spot, they'll be they'll be challenging again. They have every chance to win that division. Packers will be better. Bears will will see what they ultimately do. But the Vikings are probably going to trend in the wrong direction for a little while before they get in the right direction. So I think that they should still be heavily favored, right, to win that uh, to win that division. At least to me, I I know the Packers are charging, but
2: yeah, I think that the offensive coordinator hire is such a big part of it because. Not not only are you back in the market for an offensive coordinator, but you're back in the market for an offensive coordinator in February. Yeah. So, would they have been interested in a Ken Dorsey or a Kellen Moore, considering the, Dan Campbell's not going to call plays, right? So, they could have been a player for a a really high quality candidate, and they're they're behind the eight ball a little bit here. Uh, and you, then you also like if there's an internal promotion, there's a decent chance that guy goes to Washington to be Ben Johnson's OC. So. Uh, it, I, that part is tough and, and like they found Ben Johnson, but the, the original coordinator that Dan Campbell hired when he was, when he became the, the coach was Anthony Lynn. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. there are some outcomes here that are not the most flattering for the lions and and not the most conducive to them really being, I mean, I think we agree, Jake, that Ben Johnson, we had him in our, I think around our top five in terms of offensive minds in the league. Mm-hmm. And I, you're going to struggle to replace that. I guess is my point. And so, if you don't have that, the defense doesn't take a major step forward. What are the Lions? I think it's a. I think it's a. It's why Campbell was as candid as he was in his press conference because he knows the the journey that they took to get here and how much things aligned for them this year.
1: I, I will say, do you know who the Jags? Uh, sorry, I uh, probably just gave that away. Who the Lions' quarterback coach is? <laughs>
2: I I you said Jags, uh, but I'm I can't I'm trying to think of who that would be. I don't. Mark Brunel. Oh so I do wonder if he would yeah. uh be
1: able to take over calling plays and all That's that, fun. his futures. And then their assistant quarterback coach, which I tweeted about today. Do you know who that is? Nope. The guy that I'd be interested in, maybe coming over and being a full-time quarterback coach in Cleveland, JT Barrett. Hey. Why not? He's been around Ben Johnson a couple of years. He's got an understanding of what they were doing mm-hmm. there. They got Jared Goff got better. No doubt about the best Jared Goff's been in his career. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, man, I'd be making the call personally, just me.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com. It is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute ticket's lowest price guaranteed. And that's kind of where we transition next is uh, the conversation around the Browns' decision to hire Ken Dorsey, right? So, oh, look at that. Wow. Uh, is you know, the Browns idea here, uh, let me phrase it this way. I mean, we're going to talk through a little bit of Dorsey's history as this announcement happens. And we, we have sort of seen conflicting hints on what's going to happen with who's actually calling the plays, Andrew. But I think that it's obvious that if, let me say it this way. It's obvious to me that if he's calling plays, he's not the quarterback coach. If he's not, do you think he's the dual role that, avp was and do you think that's smart because i i don't i don't think i would rather get another voice in i just would rather have as many of those as i could but i'm curious what you think
2: no i agree with you 100 if you're going to go through the offseason so far replacing these other coaches with name coaches right deuce Staley is a name tommy reese as a tight ends coach is a name ken dorsey certainly a name as an offensive coordinator has gotten head coaching interviews It doesn't make sense to me that you would stop there, and I don't fully understand the idea of doing double duty. Uh, I I think there's room for a quarterbacks coach. I've said that year after year. I I understand that it was one of the main reasons that Alex Van Pelt was hired as the offensive coordinator was his work with quarterbacks. Yeah, So maybe you want to balance that out, and I know that Ken Dorsey has a really strong track record as a quarterbacks coach. What I would like is I would like the Browns to ask Ken Dorsey – Who do you like as a quarterback's coach? Who coaches it the way you want it to be coached? Who would you work well with? Mm -hmm. Because then you're getting the benefit of having another voice in the room, another guy on the field to help Watson, another guy that he can call or text or whatever when he's looking at film or all these things. And it's somebody that's in line with what Dorsey, how Dorsey wants the position to be played. Because obviously he's got preferences, right? Right. And and so do that. And that's maybe, I think the thinking I have is maybe that's why they haven't made that higher yet, because they wanted to get the OC in and then say, Kevin and Dorsey sit down and say, who's a list of five to 10 guys that you like as quarterbacks coach? Let's get one of those guys that we agree on that we we think agree can coach it up the right way.
1: Yeah, that would be an encouraging thing to have them coming to an agreement on that type of guy, right? So uh, yeah that's that's the one thing we're hanging on to because they filled everything else you got dorsey you got staley you got tommy reese they've done everything else here we have heard next to nothing on uh callahan at this point so i mean we're gotta left assume to, left to presume that yeah that wouldn't be as likely as i thought it would be instantaneously Let me put it that way we still could do it it could all could all work out but but uh for them but I don't think that's as given as we thought it was initially upon the hire there. So, um, yeah, let's talk Dorsey. I mean, he's in he's in the NFL originally out of Miami. I think the the funny thing is the connection we all have to Ken Dorsey. For most of us people around Ohio, I know Andrew, you were in Ohio uh, during this game, this, this Miami connection, all of it to the Ohio State national championship, and of course those Miami teams were just special. So that's where you remember him first he gets in the NFL via the seventh round. You know, I don't think either of us were really studying the draft back then, but some pretty strong Tom Brady vibes to the athlete that he was prototypical size, but the arm was a lot to be desired, right? Not very athletic. And, uh, you know, a guy who had to make a living off of being out in front of things mentally all the time, right. Dealing with pressure scenarios that he didn't deal with all the time in Miami because of the talent that was living around him, right? So you had to draw parallels there. But yeah, seventh round guy, makes his way to Cleveland uh, via trade in 2006. So the 49ers traded Dorsey in a seventh rounder. Do you know who the Browns gave back?
2: Travis Prentice. It's
1: a great guess. Trent Dilfer. Oh, different Trent. Time, different era, right? So they send back Trent Dilfer. He's here in 06, uh, leaves in 07, ends up coming back, working his way back, practice, squatting stuff. So he did end up throwing a couple passes, like 91 attempts, is what I see here um in uh in 2008 andrew he completed 370 yards i will say the touchdown interception ratio did not go very well uh zero touchdowns seven interceptions in
2: um it's not what you're looking for
1: games not what you're looking for but we don't care so much for ken the player we care for ken the coach i think the thing for me that is the most encouraging and is probably not getting talked about enough is his work as a quarterback's coach right so he gets done spending time trying to stick around maybe the cfl i think he was with the toronto argonauts and then he goes to uh, carolina as a scout initially and then gets the quarterback coaching job from 13 to 17 and i think this is where he makes a name for himself the ability to connect to coaches i think cam newton has been pretty vocal about how much he appreciated dorsey uh, in his time with carolina uh, he's there through 17. I think Rivera he ends up getting let go after 17, right? He was off 2018. He was like the assistant AD at Florida International, I think, something like that. That's pretty random for your year off of uh coaching. Decides to come back and coach with McDermott at the Bills eventually. So um you're getting you're getting a lot of quarterback relation, quarterback expertise tied into calling plays and Listen, I haven't studied the Bills' offense. I have some things that people have said to me, to which I will read those quotes here in just a moment. But I'm drawn to, uh, before I go in and study, if he was actually scapegoated or not, right? I'm not going to um, say he was or wasn't until I watch the film. But uh, I'm initially fine with the decision to bring him in. Uh, I, I, I think right now, as I sit here, I think I can see the working relationship but have to figure out the dynamic of who's calling plays, and then I need to really watch Buffalo to see how how they change because people point – there's an interesting sort of middle ground, Andrew. People point to the data saying the Bills were this kind of offense before he was fired, and then you know if you look at that data, though, it could be skewed by some really strong performances in a couple games, and then you have the people who are closer to Buffalo who said this was a good move because – of these things, which I'll talk about in a minute. So I'm kind of curious where he falls in your spectrum of who you, who you wanted, because it it seems relatively clear with a little bit of conjecture that the Browns were pretty into Kellen Moore. Right. So, I mean, if they were into Dorsey, they would have hired him before Kellen Moore would have been done. So Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty obvious, but it's hard to, it's hard for me to sit here and be like, man, they really missed out on Kellen Moore. I don't. I don't know. Kellen Moore was, you know, let go from Dallas. I mean, this these these things happen. It's just about finding the right sweet spot with who's around. And I'm really encouraged by Dorsey's work with, with both, you know, uh, Cam and Josh Allen, guys who are who who like to live by getting around, moving around. Some similar things to what Watson does. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I don't think there's any reason to be upset about this. I, I will just say, like, big picture process wise. The the fact that things played out the way that they did, and I said this on the pod late last week, the Browns kind of slow playing this search and then immediately requesting more as soon as Harbaugh ended up in Los Angeles tells me that he was their first target from the beginning, right? they They were waiting that out. Just like last year, Bubba Ventron gets cut loose, I think, what, right before the Super Bowl, and all of a sudden they're making a very late change at special teams coordinator because... All of a sudden, they had the opportunity once uh, Shane Steichen got the job there and and gave Ventrone the opportunity to interview. So, as it concerns the the more thing, he comes and he visits visits on Friday, interviews, and then you really had the the sense that if it was going to happen, it was going to happen. Right? He was in the building; that he was there. He talked obviously to the Eagles prior to that, and and then eventually ended up reaching a deal with Philadelphia. He had. It's, it's clear to me that he had a choice between Philadelphia and Cleveland and chose Philadelphia. There's plenty of reasons that he could have chosen the Eagles that don't reflect poorly on the Browns. There's no doubt about that, right? Uh, and, and you know, we can go through all those, but I don't, I don't know how important that is. I think the, the point that, that, that I want to come to here is that I think if you understand Moore to be the first choice and you understand Dorsey to be a pretty quick second choice because the Moore thing broke very late Saturday night and the Browns reached a deal with Dorsey by midday Sunday, essentially, and then didn't let it out until after that game concluded. That tells me that the Browns had a specific type in mind that they were looking for. They were not interested in an up-and-coming coach. They were not interested in a first-time offensive coordinator calling plays or a developmental prospect, that sort of thing. They wanted somebody with a proven track record and I think to go back to something that we've talked about, about this since the fire, the firing of Alex Van Pelt, it indicates to me a level of involvement up the organizational chain, right? Because if, you're, if your priority, the thing that you're looking at, the commonality between these two guys, is that they're both relatively heavy hitters in terms of the offenses that they've coordinated. They've called plays. They have a, a lot of respect around the league. That's not the same thing as Kevin Stefanski saying, oh, I want a different voice in my ear as I continue to run this. This is the Browns organizationally, whoever you want to say is taking the lead, deciding that they need another strong voice in the offensive room to broaden, diversify what they do. Again, their first choice was Kellen Moore, it seems to me. Ken Dorsey is not a bad second choice whatsoever. But the thing that those two guys have in common is that they're both really strong voices that have run it in the NFL, run it, had success. Both what Kellen Moore did with Dallas and what Ken Dorsey has done in Buffalo is nothing to sneeze at. So these guys have pelts on the wall. They have called playoff games. They have done it. That, that to me tells you kind of where the Browns see this thing and what specifically they were looking for in an offensive coordinator. To your question about who Dorsey is, I think he's right. I agree with you. I think he and Moore are right there together it's it's probably a question of which flavor you prefer.
1: I, I am curious. I would love to know how much regret, not regret, but just how much they they feel like if they missed out, if they missed out on more, right? So uh, something we won't know, something nobody well, will and, answer. You know, and
2: but. the fact that he was choosing between Philadelphia and Cleveland. I mean, there's no organization that is more similar to the Browns in the NFL in terms of the front office structure than the Eagles. I, I think it's very yeah. telling that the two teams that Kellen Moore interviewed with were the was, was Philadelphia and Cleveland. Obviously, those two organizations, the way they evaluate coaching candidates, both had targeted Moore as the guy to go after.
1: Yep, totally agree, totally agree. So let's do a little bit of um, immediate reaction to this. So I want to read um, some of the stuff that I sent with our good friends over at Cover One. Again, just conversations about You know why we're here. What happened? All the above. I think it's fair to to sort of seek out people who are close to the situation. So, um, what I was told is that, uh, and then take this for what it's worth. These are these are guys who studied him. He was there for all twenty two, right? So on and so forth. Uh, Just kind of one of the thoughts on Dorsey is what I asked for. He said awkward personality, sounded like he had trouble relating and/or teaching. I think Ken Dorsey, if you hear him, you know he's he's a different kind of guy. But I don't know that. He seems to get the most out of his quarterbacks for the for the most part, especially as his early tenure in Buffalo was as Josh Allen was developing, right? Dable really considered taking him or wanted to take him to New York with him. So I think that there's a chance that it's just um, an evolving teaching approach, right? Again, he continued super smart, but lacked the necessary ingredients to lead. Schematically, he gave Allen coverage beaters uh, or schematic answers more so than what Allen is good with. So he didn't truly scheme to get X player open rather just put X player at the position at the spot. The coverage beater would win. So teams picked up on his coverage beaters and he just began to take, and they just began to take those away. They became flat and predictable. I think he's a smart coordinator, but was lacking the ability to adjust and coach in game adjustments. He continued his approach. Didn't help lead Allen, but more importantly, pull Allen out of the gutter when he had those mental hiccups it's night and day now with Brady same stuff but schematic wrinkles or layers to Dorsey's offense you can visually see coaching adjustments and tweaks in the same concepts on top of more distribution of the ball among all of their weapons so that's a lot it sounds like lack of adjustments in place to take away predictability we'll see We'll see. I that's the preliminary reading I have from again uh those guys. And I think I I've said it before, at least shows I've been on. I have all the respect in the world for Eric and Cover One and what they do. They really get into the details of scheme stuff. That is what I am promising to do. I'm gonna try to get into it as best I can and, and provide analysis on some of the stuff that we saw here. Or sorry, we we heard here and whether that I feel is is true or not. So the thing that I think concerns me is the, is the earlier stuff, the scheme stuff we'll get to and Kevin will help. And they will be meshing a lot of different things together, but like the super smart, but lack the necessary ingredients to lead and, and kind of the awkward personality stuff. I mean, it's a, it's a little troubling to hear considering you look at some of the stuff that he's done with these quarterbacks and you're like, so is he just not able to get the stuff across to other people? Outside of the quarterbacks, like is because you know, as an OC, you have to coach up coaches and coach up players, all of that. So, that gets a little trickier. That's the next layer up, right? You got to get your wide receivers coach to know what you want them to do, you got to get your running backs coach to do the same. That's a whole nother level of responsibility. So, that part of it is kind of interesting to me that maybe there's a collective leadership thing that fell apart a little behind the scenes in Buffalo. Uh, So, at least worth considering. I did ask about run game stuff. I think their offensive line coach Cromer ran a lot of their run game stuff. So he was obviously a part of developing it, but as most offensive line coaches do, they're the ones who oversee run game decisions. So he was the one developing those, and it was just about Dorsey to implement them. So a lot of dart, tackle pull stuff, duo, downhill, and then mid-zone, which is a a welcome thing that we would really like to see more of. So there is the element that he can bring some of those run game tie-ins. And they they were not maybe running as much as some Buffalo fans thought, but... Uh, they needed to, but for the most part, it was a, um, you know, pretty effective group when they did run, right, Andrew. So I don't know. I mean, just kind of your reaction to those quotes. It's a lot there. We got to break it all down. And I don't think he's going to be. He's obviously quite clearly not with a defensive coach who's saying you be the the uh, coach of that side of the ball. There's there's going to be a bunch of guidance here. And I'm I'm actually thinking Kevin could be pretty good for him in terms of how yep. to do some of those things. This is
2: exactly where I was headed with this, Jake. Is that this is an opportunity both ways, right? if you can harness some of what Dorsey is able to do in terms of communicating with the quarterbacks, because I think, like, I I think there's, there's two sides to this, right? Like being the NFL is a, is a unique business because you do need to have the ability to work well with others, but also it is a, it's a bunch of guys in their twenties who all think that they're the best athlete in the world. So his ability, and Cam Newton was expansive about this, his ability to kind of be a guy that you want to listen to as a guy who is used to being the guy that everybody listens to in the room is important here. Because the Browns have, I mean, we I've said this on, on the podcast a few times now, the Browns have, a, one of the problems the Browns face is that somebody needs to get through to Deshaun Watson in terms of, his ability to protect himself and be effective as a runner without jeopardizing his health. Yeah, and there's other things too. Uh, the you know using his checkdowns, working through his progressions. I'm sure there's lots of different coaching points, but that's the first one that springs to mind. And part of what concerns me about his long-term ability to be who the Browns need him to be is what I have seen as some st- st- stubbornness over two years. So if Ken Dorsey, because he played at a very successful college program and in the NFL, is able in a way different than Alex Van Pelt to kind of put it on the line for Deshaun Mm -hmm. in a way that he's able to hear and respect, that alone, I mean, I know I'm basically talking about a glorified quarterback's coach again, right? (laughs) But that alone is important. And that combined with some of the scheme stuff that Ken's comfortable with that Kevin maybe isn't. That's what Dorsey's bringing to the building. Now, Kevin is bringing four years of head coaching experience, a long coaching history of being very chameleon-like. Kevin Stefanski, prior to coming to Cleveland, the main thing he was known for was when the Vikings would fire a head coach, they would retain Kevin Stefanski. That was his main skill, was was that he would ingratiate himself to whomever came in the building next. And it sounds like Ken Dorsey has sort of – the opposite uh situation so they can benefit each other mutually in terms of the way that they communicate the way that they work together and I think it's a challenge for Kevin in the same way that this past year the challenge was building a team culture that can be resilient in the face of adversity uh this is this is a different challenge. This is now you've got a room. When you assemble that offensive staff, you have got a room full of guys that have all run an offense. They've all done what Kevin has is doing. So yeah. getting them to work together to pull in the same direction to build a Browns offense that is greater than any of the offenses any of them can build on their own. That's Kevin's challenge for this year.
1: Yeah. So so generally, as I go into the study, I think that they're two smart guys. Tommy has obviously done some things himself. He's been around some smart coaches too. I think the Browns will be really good at knowing the coverages teams prefer and having coverage route beaters for coverage. That's where I think they will excel. And I do think Kevin is already pretty good at that. The challenge for these guys in this offseason is finding those easy buttons that the NFL is kind of putting on display. They're smart enough to do that. They can figure that out, right? Maybe some personnel decisions tell us they're going to do that. We'll see ultimately what it looks like. But for these, you know, these I think are going to be three pretty smart guys because I'm including Reese and maybe a quarterback coach and Deuce Staley will get involved too. They have to find a way to make the quarterback's life, Deshaun's life easy to mitigate the risk of his body, right? Because it is not standing up all too well. So I think that, at least for me, Having smart people that know how to beat coverage is important. They obviously have a a, a plethora of different experience in the run game, which I think can be important. They hired somebody in Staley who knows how to handle it. Obviously, you mix that in with what Callahan can do up front. I expect the run game to look different next year. I expect the pieces in the backfield to look different next year. I, I hope that what the Browns do a really nice job of is implementing the way that Dorsey wants to be coverages with creative thoughts around it tied to Kevin. Again, there are some things that I want to see them implement that they currently don't have a track record of doing, including those right motions and alignments and uh, some of the way that you just look to pre-snap to post-snap confused defenses. That could all change when I look at the tape and I say, well, this looks different because – As I was talking to the Buffalo guys, I'm like, you know, I watched a pretty bad offense for a long stretch this year, which was clearly working with its left hand tied behind its back. So the ability to alter change and continue to grow as an offense in season is a little trickier when you're four or five quarterbacks deep into the structure and your tackles are getting, uh, you know, put into a box, right? So I think that the moral of the story for me is I like the hire from the outside looking in. Because I think you get a smart mind with NFL concepts pairing up with another smart mind, but also people who know and developed game plans on their own. And we mentioned this earlier, Andrew, have the ability to pull from that experience and provide meaningful input, right? It's not somebody who's like, hey, man, your highest level of experience has been a tight end coach. I'm going to sit in the corner of this position meeting and, uh, you know, have nothing to add, right? It's, hey, the offensive staff's together. Kevin says, Tommy, what do you think in this situation? What have you guys done to beat this sort of look before? You'll have an answer. Deuce will have an answer. Dorsey will have an answer. I think Kevin was probably frustrated with being at times the only logical brain in that room. We could creatively think of ways to get either players open
2: or coverages manipulated. He took a ton on. I mean, as the offensive staff shrunk, Drew Petson goes to Arizona. I I think, yeah, I I think it's absolutely right that, there were two things that happened. There was brain drain, which is incredible considering how small their offensive staff was already. And then they had a ton of injuries, which put them against the wall in terms of what they could even do offensively. And I think that's why the Joe Flacco games were such an inspiration because all of a sudden they found something that was working. And I think, Jake, I wouldn't be surprised if part of it was Kevin was – thrilled to have Flacco in the building in terms of a sounding board, a guy that has kind of been there and done that and knows what offensive football looks like in the NFL. So I think you're absolutely right. And I think I don't, I am not going to shy away from them bringing in more personalities, more guys that know how to do this stuff at a high level, Mm -hmm. because I, I think they, I think that what you saw at times this year, I know that there were lots of injuries that, that played into it, but I think what you saw was a team at times that was starting to run out of ideas.
1: I agree. I think that's the biggest reason that they have pushed in the direction they have pushed this offseason is, Kevin, the question for you on Exit Interview is, how does your offense get better? The question he's asking himself, do I have the people around me to get better at this, to think outside the box, to do creative things? And I think my hunch is that he did not feel like he did, and that's why he made the decision that he did, although it probably was painful to him because I think he likes his guys. He's a pretty loyal dude. Uh, he he made this decision to challenge himself and, um, you know, adapt. Adapt or die is the theory, right? So, yeah.
2: do you, Jake, how much do you think the the whole play calling question matters? Because I think unless the Browns volunteer information, which would blow my mind, I feel like we're going to spend the offseason guessing on how they're, that's going to shake out. Do you think it matters that much?
1: um that much no probably probably not no i i don't i don't i think it's what they're doing in preparation to differ themselves from last year probably matters more i won't lose like i, I let me put this way it won't alter my thought of like the browns are a 10-win team oh no kevin's not calling plays well that's now an eight-win team i don't think that's the case i do think having somebody who's in the role of like, and maybe they hire someone and this is moot, but I'm just really excited to see Dorsey work closely with Watson because he's done things for Cam and Josh that have made them better quarterbacks. He's largely impactful. So I think we can all agree this offseason about getting Deshaun to the 2020 version. He's had moments, but getting him back to the 2020 version is what all of this, we talked at the beginning of this episode about it, How close are the Browns to being in a Ravens Chiefs game that matters for a Super Bowl run? Well, it's about getting Deshaun back to that level. And that's like, you know, if you were to tell me, Jake, would you rather him be focused on getting Deshaun and doing all those things in the right place, right time, or calling plays? I'd probably say that I'd prefer him to be making Deshaun the best quarterback possible. If they decide that's through Ken calling plays, okay, whatever. But I just, I think that that remains the most important piece. And, uh i i don't think that you know having one or the other call plays is going to really like break up the the idea that this is a good team or a great team or something like that you know what i'm saying and i also like he's an experienced mind up in the press box which is something i, I was just about like to say that at. he's a
2: booth guy jake yeah. he's a booth guy we
1: needed a booth guy we've talked through this he's, gotta have the eye
2: eagle eye above helps Honestly, he's one of the more notable booth guys too, because of that yeah. uh, tantrum that he threw uh, in that Dolphins Bills game back in 22. Right? Like he—he's not only a booth guy, he's a—he's a—he's an expressive booth guy.
1: Well, between him and Tommy Reese, I'm
2: right? You, exactly. We two yeah.
1: explosive booth guys. <laughs> That's right. We went from no booth guys.
2: Yeah. To two plethora. booth guys in it's one. It's a plethora season. of booth guys, which is I think you know what? Let's just plant our flag now. It's it's January 29th. We've got plenty of time before the season starts. The booth guy narrative is going to be real in Cleveland media by like week two. So if you guys see people like
1: writing stories in the next six months about Browns will have an advantage because they'll have two of these guys up in the booth. You, you'll hearken back to, I remember when Jake and Andrew said that, right? It is important. I think, I think that there is, if we, all the notable voices, the Browns have had in their offense, Callahan's a sideline guy. Vampel was a sideline guy. Stump O'Shea, all on the sideline. You you got to have some people you trust up in the box. And not to say that like McCartney and some of the others that they sent up there weren't doing a good job. I can neither confirm nor deny, but I feel like we <laughs> we would we would still we would still see those guys like on staff if they were good enough at it that's what i would think well that's right? what you
2: said earlier you've got the, the it's the same tight ends coach that doesn't speak up in the offensive meetings how's he going to be up there in the booth saying nah, nah, kevin you 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 didn't see that right the safety was rotating and and actually this is what we need to run it's it's about a lot of this stuff i i, I again the nfl is not every office right there's there's not consensus building is not a given during an nfl game right so mm-hmm. you there's a I i i'm sure you can speak to this from from your time playing college ball like there's there's an element of who's going to have the the sort of chutzpah to stand up in that moment and really put their foot down and say this is what we need to do well i think they they made strides with that this off season let's put it that way so all right that's a show Andrew, anything else to add well i just i just had one more thought about the quarterbacks coach thing i as far as i know brian johnson you know still available a guy they interviewed had been a quarterbacks coach in philly i think it's I, I, that would be very interesting to me. And a guy that, again, another voice in the room that could really, I think, help and, and, and maybe even bridge the gap because he's damn near to Sean Watson's age. Yeah.
1: I think I I'm, I'm quite fascinated if they, I think we'll be in line for another huge discussion. If they go quarterback coach, I, I really, as we sit here, I'd be, I'd prefer it. I, I prefer it again. I, I don't know if, some of these guys who have interviewed for OC would be able to make that lateral move. That's why I was like kind of poking around at assistant quarterback coaches. And that's how I kind of came to, to look at JT a little bit, but I still think I would prefer another, another voice in that, in that fold. I think I would prefer another guy specifically designated to it. But if Kevin feels like, hey, we're putting him in more of the Alex role, which could very much be the case, then I I will have no issue. Like that outcome doesn't bother me whatever way they go there. I don't know if it'll bother you because it's an open coaching slot, but uh, to me, I'm like, the only way I'd be a little bit weirded out by it is if he's calling plays because then it's like that could that completely changes the amount of workload you have to also no, be a dual quarterback coach.
2: I, I hear you. I think, I mean, he's obviously got a ton of great track record as a good quarterbacks coach, so I have no hesitation with with that, I, I I I'm just I'm getting a little greedy in terms of this team of rivals or you know a brain trust model that they're going with this offseason, where it's just like let's get another guy in there. Why not? Like I said, wouldn't bother
1: me if they did it. Don't know that it's necessary until we learn more. I I just the most interesting thing to me moving forward here is like when are they going to tell us that? I we I mean, may not even learn that until like August, which is. <laughs> could be incredibly annoying to not know that until yeah. they're late, but they don't have any reason to tell us so they don't need to, but right. Um, I'm sure we'll get an introductory presser with Ken and maybe at that point they'll be ready to share that. that'd be that'd be lovely if they could do that. So uh, okay, that's it. That's all. thanks for stopping by tonight guys and being a part of the show for those of you that were in the live here, about 100 of you hanging out. we appreciate that. Uh, those of you listening in the podcast form, thanks for making this a part of your day. You know that we greatly appreciate that as well. Um, We'll be checking back in with you throughout the week, talk through more of the hires and all that stuff uh, and decisions. And like, I'd like to get into more of the granular details about Dorsey and what I find and share those with you guys too. So keep your eyes peeled for all of that. All righty. Until then, be well. Go Browns.